This podcast is brought to you by the Gosh Learning Academy. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Gosh Pods. I'm Emma, the Digital Learning Fellow at Gosh and your host today. All this week on Gosh Pods, we are looking at leadership stories and I will be interviewing several senior members of staff about leadership, both clinical and non-clinical, about their career journey and their experiences. The importance of leadership and management is highlighted in the GOSH People Strategy, which focuses on the development of compassionate, competent leadership within the Trust and emphasises that every member of staff at GOSH should be given the opportunity to develop their leadership skills and encouraged to reach their full potential. Hope you enjoy listening. So today I'm joined by Philippa Wright, who is a dietitian by background, I believe, but also now chief of the allied healthcare professions at GOSH. Have I got that right, Philippa? So I am a dietitian by background. I am head of dietetics, but I'm also chief of allied health professions. So just AHPs. Great. Thank you very much for that. And thank you for joining me today. Thank you. So just to start with, could you briefly summarize your career so far and how you got into the role that you're in today? Yeah, I'd love to. So the, the chief allied health professionals role itself, these are new and emerging posts. So mine started in 2018 when the GOSH did a restructure of the organization and realized that they needed a chief Allied Health, which was very forward thinking for GOSH at the time. They're not mandatory to have, but they are being seen as the best way to help all the skills and capabilities that Allied Health professionals offer. And also they didn't have a voice within many of the organizations they worked. And so that was a really modern way to bring that voice forward and raise the visibility and value of AHPs within the organization at a more senior level. One of the big problems we have is that people think that AHP, and I'll use that term moving forward to describe our workforce, is everybody that isn't a doctor and a nurse. And that's probably one of the big things I'm having to do, that we're not psychology, we're not pharmacy, we're not healthcare scientists. We are 15 professionals. I'm just going to tell you what those are because it's always a good way to raise that. It's the four therapies that people be most aware of, which would be dietetics, physiotherapy, speech therapy, and occupational therapy. But it's also radiographers which is diagnostic and therapeutic radiographers. It is ODPs, which are operating department practitioners, which always surprises people when they're members of the AHP workforce. Orthotists, music therapists, drama therapists. I've said radiographers, and I'm sure there'll probably be someone I've forgotten in there, but orthoptists as well. So in this organization, we only have nine of those because we don't have an A&E, so we don't have paramedics. They're the ones I forgot. We don't have paramedics either. These chief AHP posts are much more popular now. I've just come up a call this morning that was looking at the leadership opportunities for AHPs into these chief AHP roles and to make sure that we are all aligned, trained uh, and having any opportunity for leadership so that we can apply for these posts as they emerge in the future. And there's even more exciting roles coming up now that the integrated care systems have been developed because we're now looking at director of AHP roles within the ICS model, as well as within organizations as well. Okay, so it sounds like the kind of leadership structure within the AHP professions is really starting to kind of develop and become a lot more structured. Absolutely. And 
you can't just develop those people overnight. So it takes several years. So I have, I think about my own journey to this role. Mine began with dietetics within my profession. And 20, 30 years ago, when I first started working, that was the traditional model. You'd have a head of department and then you would move forward. You wouldn't even necessarily have even been thinking of any or normal leadership opportunities. You'd have worked clinically. A position within your department would have come up. You'd have applied for that post. And then you would have probably stayed in that one same post for the remainder of your career. And what we've recognized is that we were losing people across the allied health professional workforce because we're 97% female as well, which doesn't make us a very diverse group of individuals. And so what we've done through NHS England and NHS improvement in health education over the last five years is really start to look at, is that the right leadership model? What were the problems with it? What were the positive points? What could we learn from that? And how could we move forward to really develop roles in the future? And I think what we recognize is probably being very female, particularly amongst the therapies, is that there was a lot of job shared roles. And there were some very interesting papers published in the last few years that looked about what existed from leadership with regard to AHPs. And it, it really had developed in a sort of oh, shared job role from a head of department. You may have got the job because you've been there for the longest. And it was very much about annual leave organization and putting shifts on rotors and making sure we were available for the weekend roster if you were a head of physio or various other things and managing local performance. It wasn't about the big thinking around developing workforce, developing systems. And so we only got a chief allied health officer for NHS England in 2015, and that's a lady called Suzanne Rastrick. And the fruits of her labour have really started to come out and now that we're much further ahead in 2022 and moving into 2023, they've really looked at what leadership exists. They've looked at how we can take it forward, how we can raise our visibility and value within organizations. And it's, and it's explained a little bit of why we perhaps haven't had that representation and voice at the senior leadership table. And I think all credit to Gosh, when they created the chief HP role, it was you know, a great way for me to be visible and representing us. And actually, by them seeing you at the table, we have to mention the word AHPs, and they may well have said it was the wrong group of professions that were underneath it. But I was able to sit there as well and speak on behalf of all of that non-medical and non-worsing workforce to say, hang on a minute, but what about AHPs and psychology and healthcare scientists? What's the impact on them as well? Okay, that's really interesting and a really good kind of summary of how it's evolved, particularly over the last few years. Thinking back a bit to your personal journey, you had been a dietitian for about 20 to 30 years, I think you said. Yeah. At what point did you start to become interested or start thinking about taking up a leadership role? Was it always something that interested you or was there a particular point where you thought that you wanted to really develop and find those skills within yourself? Yeah, so I came to dietetics late and graduated at the grand old age of 30. So I'd had a career. I'd come through a sports science background before I came into dietetics. So I was probably a little bit older when I came in. I'd worked for myself. I'd worked for other private companies and not come from a, a hospital background. So I think that that probably gave me some skills I wouldn't have picked up if I'd come up from the traditional route of 21 straight into dietetics and working in that way. Probably helped me 
have more difficult conversations and more confidence in more uh, stressful situations within healthcare that you're certainly facing as well because I've developed myself a little bit more as a person coming in. It's not uncommon to come in as a mature student into our careers. And one of the things I think we're noticing in every career now is that people are having two or three careers, aren't they, before they get to their final one. So that was probably one of the first things that gave me the confidence to perhaps think about applying for leadership and actually like working with people and being in that lead type of role. Some people see it as, oh, why would you want to manage all the problems that come with management? But actually that's not. It's the great way of conversations you can have with people about their career aspirations and developing them as people clinically as well. So that's been a really exciting part of my career. And then moving forward to, gosh, to a, perhaps a, a bigger department, I'd managed multi-therapy teams at the organisation I was at before I came to Great Ormond Street. So that was at a, a similar tertiary style hospital, but I managed four therapies there. And that was really great because we're all very much used to working in silos in the NHS completely. And it was a nice way to break that down, recognise that we all had similar influences and similar trials and, and, and different things to, to lead on. Might not be the same clinical professional group, but actually the, the, the day-to-day of the job and the patient was the same and how we developed ourselves. So it was quite easy to put a, a multi-professional leadership strategy in place. And that's what's been further developed here at GOSH since I came here. And it's great working in different organisations because there's always something good and there's always something you can change and learn from each place that you come to and start to put in place. I think the biggest thing is the NHS has changed significantly and for people to keep up with that change and recognise perhaps some of the learning they've taken from that and recognise that actually, gosh, I have been doing lots of leading and I perhaps hadn't realised it would be one of the things I'm trying to embed within this role for others is to recognise that actually, yes, you were going to see a patient and you were doing this and you were doing that, but actually that's the same as leadership. These are the same stresses. That's the same type of work. So it might not be leading patients. It might be leading people. It might not be leading clinical pathways, but it's the same piece of work around being a manager or a leader in the future that actually recognising what are the improvements that can be made, what's some of the governance and insurance around some of the things that you do. And yes, you've probably done it really well around your patients and your patient care pathway, but it's just the same way as developing a service. I'm really glad you mentioned that. And I think it's really interesting because one of the key messages I think that I was hoping to get across with these podcasts is that really any member of staff has the potential to be a leader and that no matter their current level or their current role, actually a lot of the things they'll be doing on a day-to-day basis are helping to prepare them for taking up leadership roles. Whereas I think a lot of staff see it as being something completely different or completely separate but actually a lot of it is kind of one and the same thing. Absolutely. And for people not to think it's just about dealing with problems, you know, nothing excites me more than looking at and developing people. And I think that that is ultimately what my career has been about, is actually, it's not just about me. One of the things I say for myself is what the career structure I would have liked, what would I have liked? So some of the things I've put in place in the dietetic department, rotational programs, junior staff posts that perhaps we didn't have before. Well, that would have been the the band six program I would have really enjoyed so that I knew I was safely progressing. I knew competencies and I was safe and I had the governance in place, but I was also being allowed opportunities to lead myself. The beauty of being an AHP is that you're an autonomous healthcare professional, and that's not the same as some of the other people we work with. 
we are there to offer advice around the type of healthcare and offer some treatment that the others can't offer. So they'll bring the dietitian or the physio in or the speech therapist or the OT to do things that other people can't do. And often that's not seen. And that's perhaps sometimes why people don't know what we really do, because we go off and do it on our own. And then we'll just report back and say, yes, we've done this and this, and this is our program. So that autonomy is leadership and making people understand that actually you went off, you've developed a care plan, you've listened to the family, you've thought about how that can be implemented and you're thinking about following it up afterwards and how you make sure that you've dotted the I's and crossed the T's. And that, that is essential leadership as well. How do you look at the person looking after? What are you setting as a plan and an objective moving forward? And what skills and capabilities does that person need to be able to deliver or enable them to live that better life that you've just given them the advice about? So the dietitian, it's about understanding the food that goes in and the, and the clinical condition. You give them the advice but you need to make sure they've got the skills to be able to deliver themselves and support themselves with that program. And it's exactly the same thing with developing others, isn't it? You know, what do you need to get there in the end? What skills do I need to give you and training to support you to be able to do that? And thinking about your current role at the moment, how does your time divide between your clinical role as a dietitian and then your role in leadership, management and, and representation of the allied health professions? So I don't see patients anymore, unfortunately. So that, that often puts people off from moving forward. So the role I had before I came to GOSH was a, a head of paediatric therapies, but I was very much a intensive care dietitian. That was my background, cardiology, congenital heart disease. So that, that was difficult because that's a very intense workload, plus doing all of the other bit that my team wasn't as big, so there was payoffs, but we were growing and getting bigger because of some of the work that we were putting in place. So when I came here to Grace Former Street, I was head of dietetics originally. And so that was a full-time role in itself because I managed the special feed units and production areas as well. And so what we've done when I got the chief allied health role is, yes, I've got two jobs, but I think that the AHP job is probably getting bigger as we move forward. So we probably need to have a think about how we develop that. But I was able to develop some of my other staff to be able to lead on the production areas. And so we now have a head of production, which was, again, developing somebody to become a leader, take on more responsibility. So we've got a really good, strong leadership program in dietetics. Very fortunate to have excellent team leaders across the clinical teams. We reviewed the whole service, putting in place some of these more junior posts to be able to take on some of their work as well, but developing others for our succession planning. So with a really good, strong leadership structure, it's enabled me to, to have both of those roles. And so what does a typical day look like for you? So, well, this morning, because it's been snowing, we've got trains, strikes and everything else this week has been about making sure we've got people on the ground for dietetics. So there's always some management aspect to running a service and making sure everybody is where they should be. My team leaders are responsible, obviously, for their own clinical team, so I don't have to, to get too involved with their rosters and rotors. But it's my job to make sure that we're always thinking one step ahead and have those things in place. Then I went to a research an innovation meeting where I was working with some companies because we're developing a strong research program. Then I had a, another meeting about leadership for Alliance Health. So then a chief AHP hat goes on. I've got another, and then the rest of the day would be chief AHP where you've got national meetings. And the wonder of Zoom is that actually you can do a lot more than you probably did before. And particularly for the AHP community within London, that's really enabled us to have a really strong strong network, learn from each other, develop from each other. 
And one of the big things that came from the integrated care systems is the developments of these AHP council roles where we've come together to be able to really look at problems or opportunities within the integrated care system model. And that's exciting as well. So it's about having two hats, but knowing that a lot of my chief AHP work really would be affecting me as a head of department anyway. So there's a lot of work I will be doing, as I will be doing as a head of dietetics, but I would have been feeding into the, the chief AHP. So uh, it's been very busy for the last few years. And you've kind of mentioned about how the, your work as head of dietetics and chief AHP can complement each other and work together. Is there ever been a time where there has been perhaps conflict or kind of different priorities with those two hats on? And if so, how have you resolved that? I think you've hit the nail on the head because obviously we went into COVID and I think within the organisation, we've had quite a lot of change at the senior management level. So, you know, one minute we were having, we've, we've just changed the operational management structure, which I think is a good thing because they have these very regular operational meetings and that's stopped now and we've moved into the new organisational structure. So the chiefs who are operationally responsible are at those, which is the right thing to do. And then the information sharing, the SMT and the SLT meetings, I will be present at now, which are shorter and, and although they're weekly, they're earlier in, uh, and shorter. And then it seems to be a good structure moving forward. So I'm not operationally responsible. I'm only strategically responsible for the AHPs. Uh, it's been great working with Tracy Luckett because we've been really thinking about how the voice for AHP needs to feed into different ways, different meetings. So the conflict has been that I think as an AHP head, I was probably thrown into every meeting that's happened over the last few years since getting the post. And I think what I've learned myself moving forward is I need to question, why should I be there? Is that the right one for me? I think a lot of meetings were developed in response to the leadership challenges that we faced post-2018 and what did good leadership look like and what was the structure within the trust. And I think that we've all grown because a lot of us are still the same people while we've come through that. And I think now that it's very clear my professional line of accountability is to Tracy because both within the organisation and nationally, the AHP leads, chief AHP for NHS England would report into the chief nurse, which seems odd because we're the third largest workforce reporting into the largest workforce, but that's how it is. So it's, we need to still maintain that line of accountability here at Gough. And it's right and proper that I feed into Tracy as chief nurse. So it's, it's me there to make sure I am sharing information, raising issues, being a point of reference, but me also being very clear about actually, is that the right meeting for me to be at? Because if it's an operational responsibility, I need to be able to get the right people for you, but it wouldn't necessarily be me, but the right person at those meetings. Moving on to a slightly different area now and thinking about some of the qualities and skills that are needed for good, effective leadership. What skills or qualities do you think are most important and how have you developed those qualities over time? So very good question. For allies, health professionals, we've probably been very defensive historically. And actually one of the nice things I thought I picked up from Suzanne Rastrick, our leader, was let's just change the reference point and let's just say, how can we help? Rather than you don't think about us, why do you never think about the AHPs? We need to just remember there wasn't a conspiracy theory out there to exclude us from every conversation. What came from that 
research I was talking to you a little bit earlier about when we looked at what leadership existed. When you've got nine to 14 different professions, meetings, it's impossible to have everybody there. So you know, I think that's what happened historically. It was, let's just get a few people representing services in there to talk about what we need to have around, who we need to have around the table. And as a result, many times because there were too many of us or we were under-resourced, we didn't get invited or we couldn't attend, we didn't have the skills to know how to attend and we didn't have the confidence to attend. And that's a national thing. That's not just a gosh, but it, I think it tells a similar story that people were angry that they weren't invited or didn't have a voice, but the reality was how was the best way to get that voice to the table? So I think moving forward, it is we can help. We've got the skills and capabilities to be able to help. And actually the chief AHP and the other roles that have been developed gives a single point of reference to say, well, you definitely need me at the table. But then it's the pressure is on the AHP then lead to be able to be effective at that table. Know how to have that language, how to discuss. Know when it's important to raise that point and argue that point or just to say, well, I'll take that back and I'll discuss it with my team so we'll see how that sits. Because being very defensive means you just don't get invited. And that's that's not what we want at all. We want to be able to have clear, open discussions and say, actually, do you know what? Yeah, we can do that and we can help in that way. You've talked a little bit about this already, but why do you think good, effective leadership and management is so important within GOSH and I guess within the NHS in general? I mean, people want to feel that they've got a leader that will represent them and speak on their behalf of the things that are important to them. So that's really important that it can't just be me having meetings all the time and not feeding back. So we have we have regular meetings with heads of service, we have specific steering groups and those are where we engage with people who aren't the heads because we need to hear from everybody else. It's important to have listening events. It's important to be able to feed back to those teams and say, you said we listened and this is what we're going to put in place. And that's probably a lot of what we'll be doing again next year because COVID really, you know, was a great time to show that we could help. And these are our skills and capabilities. In this organisation, people stood up, they did vaccinating they were able to go outside of the organisation and support trusts where they were struggling with staffing. So that's some of the things that we can do moving forward. People really need to feel that they have a voice and that they feel that they're being listened to. At the moment, people are feeling very tired, stressed, under-resourced, exhausted. And that doesn't matter whether you're an allied health professional or not. It has been a really hard two years. And I think actually some of the things that we are feeling now are the after effects of that. And I think that's some of the work we've got to do next year moving forward about how do people feel that they were listened to and that they, they do have a voice. And that's where the leadership piece comes in. It's not just sitting at a meeting and working from an agenda. It's actually making sure are we listening to our staff. So we've got the staff surveys. We'll do some AHP specific events next year as well around that. And what advice would you give to people listening to this podcast who might be thinking about becoming more involved in leadership and management within their area or within their specialty? It isn't just about the boring day-to-day piece around shifts and rosters and, and some of the things that people don't think of the more glamorous side of management. It's about developing staff. It's about it's a really exciting thing to be involved with. And I always say it's never been a better time to be an AHD because there's so much development going on around us. There's so much recognition nationally at the moment that we perhaps haven't been developed. We haven't been thinking about our own career development. And that's evidence because we're losing people. And we can see that from the data that people are 
filling the degree places, they're coming into the profession, they're getting lots of training, but then they're leaving at those late 20s, early 30s points in their career. And it's not necessarily just around looking after family and children because we're so female. It's around people feeling that the profession perhaps isn't leading them in a particular direction. So we've got to be really good now at having really good conversations with our staff and developing them as leaders in the future and just making them realise there's a whole range of roles that didn't exist when I first started. Digital, research, all sorts of things that were not even in our conversation. And then making sure that people don't leave too early as well in retirement and they then actually want to try and keep those people in the professions because they've got so much to offer and learn. So my point of talking to staff is that leadership is in everything we do every day. And actually, you can dabble and put your toe in the leadership pond by just looking at the staff around you and seeing if you could lead other bands or other clinical areas. You could lead clinical research groups. You could lead clinical groups around your own area of speciality. And then that's creating a network, finding out what's important to that group of people and taking specific projects forward. And that's, that is the bit of leadership. And then that is what you want to be doing in these chief HP or management roles, because actually you're taking forward individuals and giving them a better opportunity and career future and keeping them in the health service and keeping them moving forward. Yeah, that's, that's good advice. And I guess a good description of actually what the role entails. Are there any kind of resources that you'd recommend about how to kind of practically go about getting that experience? Yes, and that's something that we're looking at at the moment. What is the training? Because there's the King's Fund, which has obviously got a range of courses, but some of those are maybe too senior already for people. So there's there's a whole host of resources out there. There's the NHS Leadership Academy. I would definitely look in there. We are doing some things around our senior leaders at the moment. In the Trust, there is the fantastic time management program, which anyone can go on. And it doesn't have to all be done in one day. You can pop into different modules of that because that helps you really self reflect and makes you realize what are, what are the skills and capabilities you've got what do you need to develop how would you manage to have some of those trickier conversations because everybody it, it, the your patient care or leading a team it's the same so i would say people should start to build up those skills as they move forward remembering it's a marathon it's not a race you don't want to wake up one morning and think oh i want to be a manager and then you haven't thought you know and you've then got another 10 years ahead of you to be able to start developing that it's about really good quality PDR conversations with your line manager, but also with me or coming and talking to me and asking me, what would it be? How would I develop this? Because I would expect and the expectation now is that a PDR or professional development, personal development review meeting is not about what clinical training do I need to keep moving myself forward about courses. It's about the whole spectrum and it's about the leadership. So some of the things we've been doing, for example, is looking in, in each banding and what skills and capabilities you need. And then if you can see what you need for the next level up, you can see what sort of extra experience you might need. So sometimes you need to do and seek that out yourself with some support from your line manager that you might push yourself a little bit further than what your actual banding would expect to be able to get some extra skills in. And that might be as simple as a service evaluation and an audit, or it could be something as, something completely non-clinical focused and you might go and work on a sustainability project or something around research or something like that would help you develop yourself a little bit further. So you're testing the water, seeing if you enjoy it, and then actually thinking, oh, what training would I need to wrap around that next year? 
There's lots of people and lots of resources. And gosh, she's got a fantastic learning academy. It's full of training, full of courses. And if the course doesn't exist, come and talk to us and we'll try and develop it as well, because that's absolutely what we're here for. And just finally, before we run out of time, I was just wondering if you had any particular role models or people that had inspired you throughout your career so far, especially with regards to to leadership. Yeah, I was really lucky. I had a very young dynamic manager called Penny Agent, who I used to work with at the Brompton before I came here. She absolutely was a brilliant role model. She was a physiotherapist by background, but she started off with being a head of physio, then she developed the service. She became director of allied health, laboratory medicine, biochemistry, all sorts of things, because she was applying the same leadership system framework to the work that she was doing. And she's now part of that merger with the Adelina as well. So she was definitely somebody I learned from. I think she did the NIBA with the Florence Nightingale training as well. And uh, yeah, she was really good. And what was so good about Penny was that actually you could ask her any silly question you wanted. You never know, felt there was anything that was going to come and get you in the future for asking a silly question. And I think that that's the type of leadership I would like to have where people felt they could say, hmm, I've got this idea. How would I go about this? Or can I shadow somebody? Or how do you think I would move forward? Thank you. That's been a really interesting conversation and I think really inspirational, hopefully, for people listening who who are interested in this area. So thank you so much for talking to me today. Thanks for asking me. That was fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Gosh Pods Leadership Stories. We hope it has inspired you to think about developing your leadership skills to reach your full potential. Great Ormond Street offers several in-person courses as well as e-learning programmes aimed at aspiring, developing and established leaders with accreditation from the Faculty of Medical Leadership and Management. To find out more, log in to goshgold at lms.goshgold.org and search for leadership. We would love to get your feedback about the episode as well as get your ideas for topics for future podcast series. You can find a link to our feedback page in the description for the episode or email us at digital.learning at gosh.nhs.uk. If you want to hear more about the work of the Gosh Learning Academy, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn or visit our website at www.gosh.nhs.uk and search Learning Academy. We hope you enjoyed the episode and we'll see you next time. Goodbye.